Morning, Living Water. How's everyone doing? I invite everyone to stand and worship with us. Sing this with me. I've heard a thousand stories of one day. Think you're like, but I've heard tender whispers of love in the dead. coming up. 
Introduce a new song. And it's called Mighty God. And uh, I 
want to share the first verse before we get into the song. And it's, uh, if I can go and get that first slide. The wind is watching and every gesture of your hand. The waves of fear collapse at your command. And uh, that's a really powerful lyric as it comes in. Itself responds to God from its own its own call to worship. And this morning, let's go and sing that.
Uh, man, I, I want to tell you, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I want to say thank you to David. When I worked for David up in Liberal, I called him Super Dave because he's super that way. And uh, <clears throat> he's helped me out a lot in the last couple of weeks filling in the pulpit so that I could be a dad. My daughter, uh, we had her wedding last Friday, and there were a lot of daddy do's to do on my to-do list, and it freed me up. You know, I was here as a pastor, but just the preparation time of, of you know, putting together a sermon, David just took care of that for me the past couple of weeks and gave me the ability to just to be dad. And that was so sweet. And I will tell you, I didn't officiate the wedding. Um, I did a daddy speech, though, and I think it was a lot harder than if I had officiated the whole wedding. So it was a very, very special time. And so, But I'm glad to be back this morning with you uh, in the pulpit, and hopefully you're ready to hear from God's Word. So if you will, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and what we've been doing over the summer, not all the summer, but the latter part of the summer, is we've been looking at different characters uh, throughout Scripture. And what we're looking at is we're looking at these characters through the lens of leadership. You know, typically you look at a character study. I mean, you know, may not be looking specifically to leadership, but we thought it'd be kind of neat to hit that um, angle as we're talking about everybody in this world is a leader of somebody. You know, you're a parent, you're leading, um, husband, wife, you're leading, you're in a workplace, you're in the church, a community, everybody's leading someone. And so what we wanted to do was take this series through the summer called Follow the Leader and just look at a few of the character characters in the Bible through that lens of leadership. And so what we looked at so far is we looked at Noah, that leaders do what's right even when they are alone. Abraham, leaders embrace the unknown. Joshua, leaders rule by example rather than by command. Isaiah, leaders rise to the occasion. John the Baptist, leaders live their lives with purpose. Peter, leaders recover from failure. And last week, uh, Pastor David talked about Paul, leaders are passionate for what they believe. Well, today I want to talk about the greatest leader of all, uh, the leader of all leaders, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and how many agrees the greatest leader of all? So we're going to look at his life today and the leadership lesson that he presents to us. We don't have to look through the lens of leadership because he lays it out plainly for us in Scripture as he talks to his disciples in the upper room. We were joking before the service this morning that there are a few leadership lessons that we could look at in Jesus' life. We could talk about the two words, Jesus wept. Sometime in leadership, you just want to cry, right? I'm only joking, right? But you guys are tough this morning. Wow, that was, that was free. I, gave, I didn't give that to the first service, but we'll just go on <clears throat> since y'all are serious. <clears throat> so Jesus gives this leadership lesson today, and uh, the leaders are servants. And so uh, before we get into the text, I want to ask you a question. You need to help me out this morning. How many of you enjoy, I mean, you've had a big party, a lot of people at the house, like we're going to have next Wednesday, um, and the dishes are stacked up in the sink. How many of you love doing dishes? Raise your hand. You need to get that checked out because that's not normal. All right, so you love the dishes. How, how many of you love laundry? I mean, you've, you've gone on vacation, you've got tons of laundry. Really? Laundry? Okay, so, but the majority don't is the point, right? So, you know, the laundry, Rachel and I would go on a trip and we'd come back and we're like, I am not spending all day doing laundry. We'd go to the coin laundry, you know, and just put them all in at once and take over the whole place to get it done. Or maybe this, mowing the yard. How many of you love mowing? Well, if you've got a small yard or you're competing for the yard of the month, maybe. But in my house, it's a four-hour ordeal, and I've learned about a month ago, I took an allergy test. I'm allergic to all the grass and all the weeds in the Texas panhandle. I don't enjoy mowing very much. Or here's, here's a big one. How many of you enjoy, this shouldn't get in your hands, hopefully, cleaning the bathroom? Really? Oh, no, come on, man. So, Rachel and I, there's a debate going on in our marriage for 28 years now, uh, almost 28 years and coming up soon, 
um, about the responsibilities of helping around the house. She, for some reason, I don't know where she got it, thinks at some point way back when, I promised that if she would do all the housework, I would do the bathrooms. I'm like, there's no way I admitted to that. She still thinks that I did, so nobody likes that stuff. They're the, they're the menial tasks for most people, most normal people. They're the menial tasks. The tasks are just kind of redundant over and over, and some of them demeaning tasks. You're like, man, I wish I just didn't have to do this. Can I be honest with you? I have sometimes secretly wished that one day I would get famous enough, rich enough, that I could have somebody do all that stuff for me. Anybody else feel that? You know, I'm going to get to the point where I just got a butler. And I already have his name picked out. You ready? It's Alfred Thaddeus Crane Pennyworth. And, and he sounds something like this. What can I do for you today, Master Shane? If you've watched Batman, you know who I'm talking about, right? Alfred. I'd love to have that. And I think you would too, right? I mean, wouldn't that be cool if you could have somebody else that just took care of all of those menial things that you don't want to mess with so that you're free to just do other things that are more important? Well, that's the way culture is. I mean, if you think about it, when you get out of high school or maybe your first job in school, you, you take a job, and usually you're not going to get a great job off the, just out of the, the, the starting gate. You're going to take the menial jobs that nobody else wants. And so your goal in life is to take a job, and you start. And what our culture teaches us is that we want to advance on the ladder of leadership, right? And so we begin doing the work that nobody else wants to do for minimum wage, and we can't wait to get a raise or a promotion, and so you're working, you're manually digging a ditch, you know, or you're flipping the burgers, or you're cleaning those bathrooms, whatever it may be, and your hope is to get a raise or a promotion where you can get away from some of the menial tasks. Amen, right? And maybe a little longer down the road, you, you learn a few things, you grow in your leadership skills, and you're, you're climbing this ladder of leadership, and you're getting further and further away from the things that you don't have to do anymore. Somebody else can do those because I'm important, Right? And we keep climbing the ladder. I know some of you are getting worried right now. I used to be a cable guy. I climbed 300-foot towers before my brain was fully developed. So I'm not scared of the ladder, but I, I, I give this to us as an example because this is what the world presents to us. We are to climb that ladder of success. And as a leader, I mean, the further we grow in leadership, the further away from the menial tasks that we, we get. We just leave that for other people. And then comes Jesus. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he turns that philosophy completely upside down. Now, Jesus is in the, in the upper room, chapter 13 of John, with his disciples. This is before he's going to be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and he's going to ascend into heaven. He's in the upper room with his disciples, and he's going to lay out this leadership lesson to them, and there's a because there. Uh, we don't see it here, but we see it in Luke 22. Luke's account of the same story tells us a little bit more of what's going on. So it says in Luke chapter 22, it says, Then they, the disciples, begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Can you see it? Oh, I'm great. No, I'm greater. I mean, did you see what I did back there? I'm obvious. I got out of the boat and walked on the water. What do you think? I'm the greatest, right? They were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And Jesus responds. He said, In this world, the kings of the great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Among you disciples, it's going to be different. It's not going to look their way. He says, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is the most important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Jesus said, obviously the one that sits at the table, but not here. For I, Jesus says, am among you as one who serves. And we know Jesus also said, for the, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So in this culture that says, let's get away from the menial things, let's try to be the greatest, let's climb the ladder of leadership success, Jesus comes in and he says, let me show you all a principle that's even greater. And I think Jesus was an amazing teacher, and he drops this amazing principle on us, this servant leadership mentality. So John chapter 13, let's read the passage um, now. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth. you believe that? you believe he loved his disciples? It says he loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth, and now he would love them to the very end. Some of your versions might say he loved them to the full. It was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, <clears throat> son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority uh, over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus said, I came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I mean, I think Peter gets it. Like, that's not right. What are you doing? You're Jesus. Why are you going to wash my feet? And then Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't be long to me. Simon Peter then responds, then wash my feet, my hands, my head, not just my feet. Wash, me all, you know, wash all of me. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And so, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the master or the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask this morning that we would just tune in to what you might want to say to us. And as we consider our role in leadership, whether it's in the family, whether it's in our community, in the schools, whether it's in the workplace, Lord, we're all leaders, and we want to do this thing right. And so I pray that we would open our eyes, Lord, that you would open our eyes. Let us behold the truths from your word. Let us take to heart the principles that are laid out before us, even if they go countercultural. Um, to what we've been taught in this, in this life. And so, Father, would you please be honored in our lives today? And we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They're arguing on who's going to be the greatest. And he lays out this principle uh, that I just think is a very powerful lesson for them. I mean, you think about it, just a few short hours or maybe a day or so, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for them. This is pre-cross so Jesus is showing, he's revealing to them his love for the disciples. We have the benefit on this side of the cross to look backwards and see the full blessing of God's love for mankind. In fact, it says that God demonstrated his love for us in this way, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How many know God has proven and demonstrated his love toward us? 
And so here he is demonstrating his love to them. And so what we'll see here is we'll see the revelation of Christ's love to his disciples. We'll see the response that he wanted from them as a result of that love that he's shown. You'll see a reward that he says is there if they do this, if they obey and follow this example. And then we're going to look at the reason for it, the why or the motive behind why uh, we should embrace this, this principle. So Jesus reveals his love to the disciples. Now, it would have been easy for Jesus in the upper room, right? The, you know, the last of the ministry, he's done all of these wonderful things. They know who he is, and he could have easily said, guys, gather around, gather around. You know I love you, right? You know, you know I love you. He could have done that. But how I many you know talk is cheap and actions are louder than words? Actions speak louder than words. So Jesus chooses as an object, object lesson to show them his love, this principle, and it blew their minds because it was completely upside down from what they expected in that culture in that time, especially with who it is that gives the object lesson. So Jesus reveals to the disciples his love, and his love um, is in the form of action. Action speaks louder than words. It says he loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Or it might be better said this way, he showed them the full extent of his love. Guys, I want you to know I love you, and I'm fixing to show you how much I love you. Right? And so Jesus does something just crazy, like I said, in their culture, he gets up from the table, he takes off his robe, and he picks up a towel. A servant would have picked up a towel to wash the feet. He got a basin of water, and then, you know, to wash feet, you're going to probably have to kneel down, and Jesus begins one by one washing the feet, the nasty, skanky, toe jam, you know, feet of the disciples. He washed their feet something that only a slave would do or maybe the youngest in the family if a guest came over. Nobody wanted that menial task. And Jesus, Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his robe, picks up a towel and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. I'm sure there was a lot of silence in the room at that moment thinking, what are you doing? As I said a while ago, Peter gets it. Peter's like, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, Jesus, you're, you're up here, Right? Jesus, you're, you're, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, we should be doing this, and we don't want to do it. What are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus is doing it as an object lesson to reveal to them his love for them. And naturally, there's a reason for him sharing this object lesson. He says, okay, now, what, what would I like for you to do with what I'm teaching you right now? What should the response of Christ's love be? It'd be to follow his example, wouldn't it? If he loved us, aren't we to love others? If he has shown us forgiveness, aren't we to forgive others? You could go on and on and on about the examples that Christ has given to you and to me uh, in the scriptures and the response to his love to us would be simply just to follow his example. Don't, don't shout me down when I'm saying good stuff up here, all right? So you can say amen. You can shake your head in agreement. You can even squirm in discomfort. I don't even really care this morning, right? But just show me that you're alive, right? But the response to the love of Christ would be to follow the example that he's laying out, he's given. And that's what he says to them in verse 12. He says, after washing their feet, he's done. He put on his robe again and he sat back down. And then he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? Did, did, you, did you catch that object lesson, Peter, John, Andrew? Did, did you guys catch that? Did you see what I just did for you? And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. You, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's who I am. You're right. I am teacher and Lord. You got it right, guys. And here's what he says. And if I, teacher and Lord, 
and willing to wash your feet, then you ought to wash each other's feet. Now, before you guys get uncomfortable, think I'm going to break out a basin and water, and you're going to come up here, and I'm going to wash your feet. It's not about feet washing. It was what it was then because that was a, a very practical thing in their time, and it was a, a sense of hospitality when someone was walking the dirty roads that you would have their feet washed. It was just a service to them, and, and Jesus was using that. It was a very real thing. He says you ought to wash their feet, but he's not talking about washing the feet. He's talking about service. He's talking about servant leadership. He says, those that are great among you should be the least. He said that in Luke chapter 22, right? Those who want to be great must become servant. And Jesus, the one who is worthy of being on the top rung of the ladder, if he was willing to do it, he modeled it for us, we should also be willing to do so in our lives. To serve other people. Of course, he issues a reward in verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, listen, I've given you this great object lesson. Now that you know these things that you should also be doing it, if I, teacher and Lord, am doing it, you should also do it. Now that you know these things, watch this, blessed are you for knowing them. He doesn't say that. Blessed are you for knowing this principle. He says, blessed are you for doing them. Right? It's not what we know with the word of God, but it's what we do with it that matters. And see, Jesus is saying, once you know this and when you put this into practice, there's going to be a blessing that accompanies that, that that is associated with serving other people. And so the reason for it, the motive, I talked about it a moment ago, but is love. For Jesus, it was like, I, I want to show them just how much I love them. And that's the motive. That's the reason for why I want to serve them now. Our motive should also be the same way, the same as Christ, is we do what we do because we love God and we should love people as well, the same people that he loves. Amen? So I think the lesson is clear. We don't have to look to the filter of leadership because Jesus is just laying it out. He's saying, hey, if I'm teacher and Lord and I'm the only one worthy, if you will, to be on the top of the ladder and I've shown you what servant leadership is, I've descended the ladder. In fact, isn't that crazy? Because the world says leadership, you ascend the ladder and Jesus flips it upside down and he said, true, great leadership is to descend down the ladder, to take the role of a servant and to serve other people. Now, before you start freaking out, you're thinking, does that mean that I have to abdicate, abdicate my authority? I'm just saying I'm not in charge anymore? No, that's not what it means. Does it mean that i got to start doing everybody else's work? You know, I'm, I'm going to serve them, so i got to do their work. No, they've got a job to do. They need to do their role. But there's something in this servant leadership that I believe that we do need to grab a hold of. And so here's a question to kind of help guide um, our thinking um, as we continue on this morning. The question is this. Do you care more about people or results? Now, I, I'm going to put this in the family context because I would think there's probably more family than there are business people, but may, maybe it's a 50-50, I don't know. But in the context of the family, the question is, do you care more about the people that God has placed in your care and your authority, if you will, your leadership? Do you care more about them than you do results? And so it might look like this for a parent. It's like, hey, do as I say. Why, Dad? Because I told you to. And so you just bark out commands, and you're just focused on results. Like, stay in line, don't get in trouble, don't disrespect your mom, and nobody's going to get hurt, right? And sometimes we bark out those commands, but the question is, do we really care for those people? Because I believe that's what Jesus was at the motive of why he did what he did, is he truly cared for the people. He loved them. Agapeo is the Greek word. The, the word agapeo um, simply means this, to have a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good 
as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights and privileges. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm concerned for your good, and I'm willing to even take the back seat or descend, if you will, from that position of leadership to serve you with this servant leadership. It says, for another person's behalf. That is a beautiful picture of caring for other people. And so the question is, do we care more for people or do we care more for profits in the business sense? The bottom line, making the money, do we care more for people or do we care more for the results? Because when you care about people over results or profits, you'll be intentional with those whom you lead. I had a good conversation with a friend of mine in the community this week, and I said, I'm going to be talking about John chapter 13, and the first person that came to my mind was you. I said, you're just the epitome of this servant leadership, and I love seeing it. I hear it all over the place. And I asked, so what makes you that way? And he said, I've never been asked that before, but it's cool. And I said, so what makes you tick? And he started laying out the things that he was passionate about. And the first thing he said, I'm intentional with the people. Why? Because I care about them. Amen? I care about those that God has put me in a position of authority over. I genuinely am intentional with them. I care for them. And when you care for them, you're going to teach them, train them. You're going to equip them. When you care about those that you lead, and I'll kind of repeat this in a minute, you'll praise them publicly. You'll criticize them privately. When you care about those that you lead, you'll want them to be successful. So I was thinking about that. You know, how do we model servant leadership today in our world, in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces, in the church? How do we model that? It's not about feet washing, literally, but modeling the servant leadership. I think the first thing is we need to realize that we're not above our teacher. Amen? I've seen this in churches. I've seen some churches uh, ascend the great, I mean, their church blows up, and it's just a mega church, and all of a sudden they think that they're somebody, and they got people waiting on them hand and feet, and, and it's just a dangerous, slippery slope. And I think we should never, ever lose sight of who's really in charge and who's really worthy of all service and all honor and glory. Amen? And so just to realize that, you know, we're, we're not above our, our master. We're, uh, we're the messenger's not greater than the one that sends the, the message. I think that would be the first thing. But I, I came up with an acronym this morning um, just to kind of help us get it. So how can I model servant leadership? If we care for people, I use the word care, C-A-R-E, to kind of help us out. So if you're following along, you'll write it down. I would say the first thing is be calculated. Calculated. What does that mean? When you're calculated, it means that you're carefully thought out or you're planned. You're living intentionally. You're, you're leading intentionally. You're carefully thinking and planning ahead at the people that you're leading, and it, it's just carefully thought out. So be calculated. What does that look like in practical terms? In the family context, it might look like this. You know what? I'm going to let my kids have a seat at the table. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, whenever leadership is going on or you got some great people, influential people in your home, letting the kids be a part of that and seeing that, maybe giving them a voice. Hey, kids, what do you think we should do with X, Y, and Z? And they come up with these off-the-wall crazy responses. Don't say you've got to listen to them and, and apply it or obey it, right? But let them have a, a seat at the table, share power with them to be able to say, hey, you're, you're part of this team, Right? It's calculated to say, I want to train them up in a way, in a world that's completely upside down from the, the kingdom of God, and I want to be intentional with them to position them so that they are successful in God's eyes, not the world's eyes. It's like, I want to be calculated in the way I lead my family. I want to be calculated in the way I, I lead my business. 
and my employees. I, I want to make sure that I'm setting them up for success and not for failure. I want to make sure they're equipped or they're trained with what they, they need. Um, I learned this early on because I'm a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants kind of guy. I don't need rules. I don't need boundaries. I don't need details clarifying what I should and shouldn't do. So the first time I hired someone who needed all of those things, it was very frustrating for them because they would say, you know how hard it is whenever I get in trouble to know that I didn't know I was supposed to do or not supposed to do that in the first place? And so in that sense, I failed that person because I wasn't calculated. I didn't set them up for success. I didn't give them any perimeters. And so I say that to say this. If we want to be great leaders, we care for the people. We're calculated, carefully thought out, planned, intentional, sharing power, listening to the input, training, equipping, teaching them, giving them everything that they need to be successful. Are you, are you following me so far? So that's C. A is this one, and I think it's important as well. Applaud them. Now, when someone does something great, I mean, I think we should acknowledge that and, and applaud those efforts. You think in a home, um, the home I was raised in, and I don't mean to, to knock on my dad, but it felt like I couldn't do enough to ever get that, that applause or that attaboy son. It was always, well, you should have done that. You know, that's your responsibility. That's your job. But there's a lot of power and encouragement that come from applauding someone, and especially when you do it publicly. Amen? Let me tell you what my kid did this week. You just start applauding them like, man, isn't that great? That's awesome. And the negative is true. If you criticize them publicly, phew, it can be very dangerous. Also in the workplace, applaud, cheer the successes. I want you to know how great they're doing, but criticize privately to pull them one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. That's so huge, I believe. So publicly praise them, criticize them privately, applaud them, not yourself. We have this tendency to try to make everybody think how great we are, and so to be able to take a back seat and let somebody else share the spotlight that's what I mean, by applauding them rather than us. So that's the A. The R in this CARE acronym is an important one as well, is relieve the pressure. Relieve the pressure. By pressure, I mean roadblocks. There's things that we carry as human beings, and we bring them into a workplace, we bring them to families, and we're dealing with human beings, and human beings are jacked up. Amen? If you don't believe that, just look to the person to your left or the right. Good chance. There's something wrong with them, some more than others. But we, we bring pressure in, into the workplace. We bring pressure into life situations in the family unit. And to, to be a leader that just recognizing those, recognizes those roadblocks to relieve the pressure, to remove some of the roadblocks internally, externally. So in the context of the work environment, you, you have internal pressures. This is not working. And you present that as a leader. It's our responsibility to say, if it's not working, I need to remove what's not working so that my guys can be as successful as they can be. To remove the roadblocks is to remove the pressure. It's just like, let's just take everything out of the way that's going to keep them from being successful. And the family, I think the same thing. It's like, what is it that is hindering your kids, your family, from being successful? Remove those internal pressures. Externally, sometimes it has nothing to do with the work. Sometimes, as I said a little ago, people are messed up, and they bring their life into work, and, and just a little empathy goes a long way. You say, hey, man, how's, how's, how's life? How's the marriage? How's that thing going on you had to the day? I heard you went to the doctor. How, how are you doing? Just empathizing with the people that we are called to lead goes a huge way because they're saying, you know what? I feel like they care about me. Have you ever had that? You experienced what I'm talking about? Empathy? Just being able to relieve some of those pressures. How can, I, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do to help? Just relieve the pressure. If it's not working, we can fix it, remove the roadblocks. 
Empathy, show the concern, and I think a big one is to lend a hand. That is to help out where there's an opportunity to help out. I personally, that's my conviction. I always tell the guys, I'm not willing to do something that, or I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Or I'm not going to ask you to do something that I have not done myself. And sometimes you just got to roll up the sleeves and lend a helping hand where that need might be. I think a great example of that is George Washington. It says, on a rainy day, the American Revolutionary War, George Washington rode up to a group of soldiers. They were attempting to raise a wooden beam to a high position, and the corporal in charge was shouting encouragement, but the soldiers couldn't get the beam into position. After watching their lack of success, Washington asked the corporal why he didn't join in and help, to which the corporal replied, don't you realize that I'm the corporal? Very politely, General Washington replied, I beg your pardon, Mr. Corporal, I did. Washington dismounted his horse and he went to work with the soldiers to get the oak beam in position. As they finished, General Washington was wiping perspiration from his face. And he said, if you need help again, call on Washington, your commander-in-chief, and I will come. I love that picture of servant leadership. The commander-in-chief, George Washington, said, if you need my help, here I am. Sometimes we have to roll up our sleeves and get in there and get it done, right? So, relieve the pressure. And lastly, that E in the CARE acronym, I would say, is a huge one, is to encourage them. We live in a very discouraging world. The world beats up people. And if we can learn to truly encourage those that we are called to lead, I think it goes a long way. A long way. So be a cheerleader for their success. Want them to be successful. And here's the secret. If they're successful, we're automatically going to be successful. Right? If we focus only on results, we're like, just get it done, just get it done, and we're just pushing, 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 but we, we're not working for their success. We could have some belligerent, unhappy, dis, you know, enfranchised people that we're leading, and I just think that if we focus on the people and we care about those that we're leading and we encourage them along the way, if they're successful, we're automatically going to experience that same success. And so encourage them, be a cheerleader for their success, as I said, I was talking to my friend this week, and he was sharing with me his philosophy on leadership. There's like three different ones. He said, you got the football analogy where, you know, one leader is out in front of the team, and he's leading them to victory. And so that's one type of leadership where you're leading them. And I think that's a good one, by the way. And the second one is like the coach that's behind the team, and he's like yelling at them, and he's pushing them to victory. I think of Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys back when they used to win. It's an intimidating coach, right? Probably played more out of fear than anything. So there's that method as well. And then lastly, he said, you know, my, my lesson is I, I try to see myself as the cheerleader on the sideline, cheering them on to victory. And I love that. Because we all need to be cheered on from time to time in victory. Amen? And so encourage them. Be a cheerleader for their success. If they are successful, you will also be successful. And so Jesus lays out this lesson. And if you, if you consider it, he so loved them. And he demonstrated that love by just simply serving them. And he goes on to teach us that in leadership, whether it's in the family, in the school, in the business, in the church, whatever it may be, the, the greatest form of leadership, I believe, will be this servant leadership. And that's where you take the people and you say, you know what, I care about the person, the people. And I'm more concerned about that than I'm the bottom line. And I know that sounds so weird and upside down in today's culture, but I just have a feeling that Jesus knows what he's talking about. I mean, is it just me? And so we have to have the right attitude. And to that I'll say Philippians chapter 2, 
we're told that, uh, well, let me just read it. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And then he says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Let me stop right there. Because in our culture today, there are churches that are very successful that are teaching a theology called kenosis theology. And they would say that this passage, this one verse right here, that Jesus gave up his divine privileges, or some of the versions will say he emptied himself, they will say that that means Jesus emptied himself of his deity. And that is absolutely wrong. Scripture makes it clear that Jesus was fully God and fully man. The Gospel of John makes it absolutely clear that Jesus was all the time deity in the flesh. Amen? So don't buy into that. I mean, Jesus, he emptied himself, and he wasn't even deity when he walked on the earth, and he was just a human being. And if you and I do like Jesus did, then we can do the same things. We don't ever want to de-elevate Jesus from his rightful position. He says, but his attitude, he says, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He was in heaven with his Father. He gave up that position temporarily to come down to the earth to live a life as a humble servant it says he was born of a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, because of Jesus' willingness to give up his divine privileges and come and to serve, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, therefore God elevated him to the place of higher honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, amazing teacher, lays out for us this example. And I think it's a great way to finish off this whole follow the leader series with the greatest leader of all time. And he says, if you want to be an effective leader, if you want to lead in a great way, then you know what? You need to pick up a towel. Amen? Pick up a towel, and by, by picking up a towel, I mean be willing to serve other people. It doesn't mean giving up your authority. It doesn't mean doing other people's work, but find ways to support, to help, to encourage, to serve them by wanting to see them succeed. And if you do that, you focus on that in the family, guess what? You're going to be a great leader in your family. If you, if you focus on that in the context of a, a business, then you're going to be a great leader in your business. If you're going to do that in the community, in the church, I think the principle applies across the board. Amen. So Jesus teaches us the lesson of the day. Two words, leaders serve. Leaders serve. And so imagine what it would look like if we grabbed a hold of this truth in our families, in our workplaces, in the church, in the community, and we ditched the world's model of climbing the ladder at whatever expense. I mean, step on people's heads along the way. I don't care because I don't care about people. But if I genuinely cared for people like Jesus cared for people, to ditch this model and to realize that true leadership does not ascend the ladder, but it descends the ladder, takes the position of humility and says, how can I serve you? Wow. Only Jesus can come up with something that awesome. Amen? What if we grabbed a hold of that? What would our families be like, our, our businesses, our churches? I have a feeling it would be pretty amazing. Amen? 
And so with that, I would say I hope that we hear what he might be saying to us today and we're willing to take steps. And, you know, I'll admit I'm not a great leader. I've grown a lot in leadership. I've looked at some of these things and said, man, I've blown it there. But I've seen some, you know, some, some, some places in my life where I'm advancing here and there, but I never stop learning, never stop pursuing being the leader that God wants us to be. And I think all of us deep down want to be great leaders, right? I mean, if we're all going to lead somebody, we want to lead in a way that pleases God and is more helpful than hurtful. So hopefully we take to heart what God's word might be saying to us today and be the leaders that he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of your word today. In a world that views leadership in an upside-down way from what we just shared, Lord, you descended that ladder of leadership, if you will, and you humbled yourself to a position that no one else in that room that day wanted to do. And you did it to demonstrate just how amazingly you loved them. Lord, your actions spoke louder than your words. Father, I pray that we could grab a hold of that truth as well, that we would learn from that um, lesson that you shared with your disciples years ago and to see how it applies in our hearts and our lives today, in the family, in the workplace, in the community, in the schools, Lord, in our churches, that we could embrace our role as a leader, that we could be intentional, that we could be calculated, and that we see our role as a very important role, and we just don't... um, Put it in cruise control and hope everything works out, but we are intentional with the people that you've placed around us. Lord, that we applaud them publicly. Lord, be willing to share the spotlight with them and criticize privately. God, that we would just care for people, simply care for people, encourage them. Lord, I know that sometimes we're going to blow that. Sometimes we're going to just mess it all up. And I pray for your grace in those moments. And, Lord, there's a lot at stake. We have children that are growing up in our homes. We have people that you've placed under our care. And we want to get this right. And so, Father, I pray that we would just embrace your way of leading people. Um, Lord, that we would honor you. Uh, Lord, as Ephesians 4, 1 says, that we live our lives worthy of the calling that we've been called to. Because of your great love that you've demonstrated toward us, that the proper response to that would be, um, and embracing these examples and applying them in our lives. And Father, I just ask for your help for us to do that uh, for your glory, and I ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.